Cool. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that, it's, that it is the thing that brings life, that it's the thing that uh, nourishes our souls. It's the thing we actually need the most. And I pray, Lord God, that um, even as the meeting started with just your presence just being with us, I pray, Lord God, that it would rest on your word. Or there would be an anointing that comes and cuts into our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. So Mark, the guys obviously did so well while I was away. Let's give them a cheer. I saw little clips. Um, it was Andy, Jason, Sean, and Ryan, eh? Yeah, four weeks. Wow. And Andrew was before me. But yeah, we're, I've really praised him. I know he's like... <laughs> but uh, it's just amazing to have a bunch of people that can preach. Um, and we're going to obviously have more into the future, which is super, super exciting. But Mark is a fast-paced book. It's, it's the book where Jesus is getting on to the next thing. But in, it kind of in, interspersed between all of that is Jesus spending time alone with the Father, which is the root of Jesus' ministry, that before he did anything, he would go up the mountain and pray. Jesus would often pray through the night in order to make a decision. And I was like, that's challenging, because sometimes I'm like, I'll pray for half an hour, I feel like I've got direction. Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, fully God, fully man at the same time, walking earth, spent time through the night praying to make decisions and to move things forward. And um, so I've got to, I'm going to kind of probably go a little bit in a few directions, but I really feel for the next season of the church, and we're going to, and part of the vision series is really emphasize prayer. Um, it is the, the thing that's the most least kind of, if you look at kind of the spectrum of Christianity, it's not the intellectual side, it's not the academic side, it's not being like encouraged by the word, but it's actually the thing that you get before your Father in heaven. And the only way you learn how to pray is by praying. It's not one of the, I can, we can give some kind of, Jesus did this, Paul prayed like this, but the only way you learn how to pray is to pray. And so often the thing we need the most, we do the least, and I'm talking to myself. I would love to say that I'm this four-hour day prayer, and like, and it's just tough when you've got kids, it's all these things, but you have to put in these moments in your life where you are spending time with your Father in heaven, taking Jesus as an example. So as much as Mark is this fast-paced book, it's, it was in the step of the Spirit. It was the Spirit. So when the Spirit does stuff in our lives, it's energized. When we do our own thing, that's when we become a little bit unstuck. We try to force doors. So we try to force the door to England, and it just didn't happen. But we were like, Started was praying the prayer, God, we just we submit to you. Well, I'm like, God, I'm not praying that prayer. I'm rebuking. I'm like, like we need to just, I need to tear down the walls of the, of the, the Jericho of, of, of the government, the UK government that they must bring. Me. And Stala's like, well, we need to find rest. And I, I took a cue from my wife and learned how to find that space of just like, God, we submit to your rule and your ways. And there's a peace that comes. And again, it's not the peace you sometimes want, but it's the peace you need. When, when we understand that Jesus is in control, when we understand that he is the king of all kings, that he, that he even cares about our, the details of our lives, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. You're going to see that Jesus in this text cares about the details of our lives. So often we can think of God who is just so far off, but he's not. He's close. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. So I heard something this week, and it's been famously said, that God's here to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. God's here to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the, comf the comfortable. And so often I think in Dubai we need to be a little bit disturbed because we're comfortable. And I look at my own life and it's like you can kind of have your day-to-day -day and it can get into this comfort zone. And I was like, 
if I'm following what Jesus is saying, and I'm, and I'm leaning in, and we're going to learn this from this text as well, is that when we lean in, we get close to Jesus, we realize he's, he's on a mission. He's on to something. And he's joining with us to see the world change. Okay, cool. So, Mark 8, verse 1. We're going to not read a ton of scripture today, just uh, 10 verses, and I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to pray together. During those days, now if you come out of Mark 7, I think Andy preached on that, where it's just the Syrophoenician woman, and uh, he, Jesus was in an area uh, that was kind of Jewish, Jews and Gentiles mixed. It says, during those days, a large cr- crowd gathered. Jesus always had a crowd, often. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And that, that doesn't sound like the like, uh, conferences that we go to. It's like, for me, it's like, okay, what are we doing after this conference? What burger place are we going to? If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. At first glance, it's a pretty straightforward scripture, but I just got, I really felt like as I was prepping, it's one of these sermons where it just kind of popped in, and I, that's why I do believe it's just God speaking in, in, through this. So number one, Jesus sees, sees our needs and makes preparations before we even ask. Jesus sees our needs and makes preparations before we even ask. Matthew 6, 8 says, do not be like them. And he's talking about the pagans. It says they're Babylon because they feel like the more they talk and the more they pray, the more God's going to hear them. That's why sometimes in prayer meetings, it doesn't have to be 25-minute prayers. It can be short little punchy prayers. Just FYI. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus saw the needs of these people who were hungry, and they weren't even complaining to Jesus. He just... Because I would have, I'm sure in the text would have said, are we hungry? They understood, this, listen, these guys have been going for three days, following me around, and they've had nothing to eat. Jesus, and he starts to really start to make provision. Now, now for me, that's comfort. It's, it's understanding, it's, it's God's sovereignty, it's God's all-knowingness. It's like, yes, we do need to pray, and we partner with God in prayer. And I do believe wholeheartedly that nothing happens in terms of the kingdom of God without the people of God praying. We want to get onto that later, that God always partners with us to see His kingdom come. But we have to realize this, that Jesus goes ahead of us. And we sing these songs sometimes, but I don't think we understand the theology, is that Jesus cares about our needs. He cares about the everyday. He's, and not only that, he's not just caring. He, he goes ahead and he starts to make provision for those, for his people, for those who are following him. The amazing thing that struck me about this is that at this stage, there's a few things. There were a bunch of people in the crowd. There were those maybe who swept along in the crowd. And sometimes maybe some of you have this morning, you're like, how did I even get to church? Who invited me? I'm like, okay, cool. It's, there's a vibe here. There's good coffee. There's croissants. Cool, I'm here. Maybe one of their friends invited them. I know some people have tricked their, their spouses into church. We've got a few people in our church who trick their spouses into church, and that's great. Whatever works, you know, uh, flirt to convert. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, I don't endorse it. I'm not endorsing it publicly, but I have seen it work. But just make sure you walk along with people. Uh, no, actually, what am I saying? Equally yoked, all of that stuff. But you know what I mean? Bring them in, let them get saved, and then pursue. Okay, singles, okay? Just uh, it's let them get saved, let them get discipled by Sean. 
Because you know, if it's he is like basically the closest to Jesus here, and he's gonna uh, he's gonna he's gonna take them far, and then it's like okay, if the Lord wills it, I'm just backing up what I'm saying. You know. Okay. Maybe they were tricked into church. Maybe they were there because they knew that Jesus provided food miraculously. They they've heard about these miracles. They've heard about Jesus doing these crazy miracles. We're like, we here because we want to see that. They're not even really seeking. Maybe there were people, maybe like you and I, who are genuinely searching. They're searching after meaning of life. They're like, we haven't seen this before. There's been other prophets. There's been, we've heard of this of old. We've heard of the miracles of old, but we haven't seen it in our day. And we, we begin to follow Jesus. And they're swept up in the crowd. They're gen- but the point is, it says that all of them were following Jesus. They'd been with Jesus for whatever, three days. And I want to say that, that it doesn't matter where you are in your walk, you're sitting here today. You get, you get to have the beneficiary of God's goodness and His kindness, the common grace. So as, as you'll see later in the story, the, the food gets multiplied and given to everyone and people get... But if you follow Jesus and you stick close to Jesus, you'll begin to see His grace and His goodness poured out upon your life. That's, if anything, going into the season as, as a church, can we just, if we just learn to stick close with Jesus and... There is so many distractions. I mean, we, are, we live in a distracted age. And I've, I've, again, I've started, I've, not again, I've kind of picked up a, the Ruthless Elimination of Harry, this incredible book. But, and it's just speaking to our age about how we are this utterly distracted people. And the way we can figure out if we're distracted or we're kind of on the edge all the time is that we come up to a traffic light in Dubai and you're like, okay, I'm in this lane, but there's three cars there, there's two cars there, there's one. Woo! I'm going behind the one because I can get quickly because I can see that that's going to be a slow. There's a truck in that lane. There's no way I'm going to stay in that lane. And you quickly shoot out. And by the way, I did that 13 years ago and I had an accident. So I've become a little bit better with that because I tried to dodge a truck and I went into someone. Anyway, lesson learned hard. Hard, anyway. Hard lesson learned. What? Yeah, I'm still warming up. And um, you know that if you go, if you're in a shopping queue, you're like, Oh, there's someone with groceries. And I, and I don't know if anyone's done this. I may have done it. I'm just saying that sometimes, you know, when people leave the trolley and they go back to grab the sweets from the sweets aisle, you're like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? You're like, you, you technically jumped out of the queue. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's because we live in this impatient age. Like, I realized as well, like, being away, I'm like, I'm, like you look at your phone randomly all the time. You touch it all the time. The, the amount of hours, and they did this, this study in this book where they looked at they said, if you look at the time that you waste on your phone or on TV, now do, you do need leisure time and they get all of that stuff. But if you just take a portion of that, you can start reading two books a week. Ah, that's challenging. I've been reading many books for many weeks. I'm like different sections of the book, pick it up, then listen to this book. But because we live in this impatient age. Anyway. I don't know how I even got there. Matthew 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they are? Can any one of you add... Uh, uh, sorry, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. We need, to, we need to understand that God even cares about our money. He cares about provision. I do believe that we need to live 
with his principles. We need to live with sowing, giving, tithing. We need to live with an understanding of that because it does bring blessing. But we have to understand that what Jesus is saying, the stuff that we worry about on our day-to-day, Jesus is taking care of the details. He cared about these people, in uh, this, this, this bunch of um, people that were following him, and he starts to make provision for them. He cares about the little things in your life. And I can tell you, if you understand that, it'll change your prayer life. Because if God, if, if you bring the little things to God, it's easy to bring the big things to God. Amen. You can start to just say, God, like, my kids are going to school. I'm like, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome, okay? That's, that's all I'm saying. But I'm like, I've seen, like, how some kids are quite mean to my kids on the playground. I'm like, God, just put strength in them. And it's quite hard to kind of, those, I need to actually get some advice from parents who have gone before me. But it's, it's hard to let them go because you want to sit and defend. Because on the playground... I can defend and like, hey, stop that now. I'm like, I'm the big, bu- I'm the bully. And, uh, but in, in, in nursery school, they're going to have to learn a few things. But it's like God cares about those details. They care about Mount Rocco and Raya. They, they care about what, the, the friends that they're going to make. God cares about those little things. Anyway, the second thing we see from this text is that he calls his disciples close and he includes them. If God wants to do anything, he uses his agency that he set up on earth to change the world. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's role was to to multiply, to bring Eden across the earth. Obviously, Adam and Eve sinned. Sin entered the world. There was a whole bunch of distraction. Things started to happen. Then God goes, okay, cool. I'm going to choose one man. I'm going to choose an idol-worshipping Iraqi by the name of Abraham, who's who's from the Ur of Chaldeans, which is kind of the, the... the, where kind of human, mankind kind of, kind of spread across the earth and God, God began to chose him, chose him out of people who worshipped idols or worshipped moon gods and he says, listen, I'm going to choose you and he starts to speak life of him. Abraham becomes the nation of Israel and the whole plan of the nation of Israel was to reflect the glory of God, to almost make the surrounding nations jealous of that, the glory of God that these are God's people on earth. Israel fails. But God's ultimate plan is he sent Jesus, Jesus set up the local church, and through us, that God partners with us. When he be, Jesus goes, he doesn't just do this miracle alone. He's not this kind of magician where he builds towards himself. Jesus immediately starts to gather his disciples around him. He knows that in a couple of years' time, or, or we can see from this text that it's very soon, he's like, I'm leaving the church the ecclesia, the called out ones, the called out people from uh, that, that, I've, that I've predestined and pre-known and they, they've been called because they're going to bring the glory of God to earth. And then he begins to pull them close and he includes them in the distribution of the food. I'm going to say this. When we get close to Jesus, we see that he's kind. We see that he cares about the small details of our life. We see that he's a fixer. I'm, as a guy, I'm a fixer. If Starla tells me a problem, no matter what it is, I will try to fix that thing, unless it's DIY, because then I phone someone else, Corvus. <laughs> and uh, Jesus is a fixer, but not only that, he, he pulls you on mission. When we get close to Jesus, we begin to realize in many ways that we are the answers to our own prayers. These people had a need. What does Jesus do? He pulls in essentially the local church, his 12 disciples, and he says, okay, what are we going to do? He starts to talk to them about the solution. And he, and he pulls in, and he pulls them into mission. Um, there's, there's a line there that's, did I read that text? Uh, yeah, I did. It says, I have compassion on these people. And it comes from the Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to say it properly. It's splag zenonai. Splag Okay. Those of you who are Greek, I'm sorry. I just butchered your language. 
But Jesus is saying, I'm having compassion. And he's like, it said, it's, and it actually, if you look at the real meaning, it's the heart, the lungs, the lungs, the liver, and the kidneys. It's your gut. Jesus had compassion for these people. And I love that because it shows that who Jesus is, that he's not far off, that he's not distant, he's not a, a dude with a gray beard in the sky, kind of only carrying out the big details of the world. He had compassion of these people because they were hungry. He, from his gut, he felt it. He, and I've had that in moments where it's like you have to act on that moment because there's just this inner urge inside of you. Jesus also says, he says in other parts, but he says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, from his inward part, began to say, listen, we need to help these people. It shows something of the character of God, that he is good, that he is kind, that he, that he cares about the detail, that he cares about the little things in our lives, and he actually wants to act upon that. And you're like, oh, well, Jesus, that's Jesus back then. No, well, the Spirit was left behind. The local church was left behind. So we can be that same people that bring compassion and love and do things. So if we link with Jesus, I can tell you it's not just going to be about being filled with the Spirit and, and being filled up with the Word of God and you being discipled and your inner life coming right. And all of that's important. Like that's the, it's the, one of the most important. But the closer you, you stick with Jesus, He's going to send you on mission. And so often I've seen in leading a local church is that people just get enough Jesus to satisfy their own needs. But actually, God, what he wants to do is you've got so much of Jesus in you that you begin to satisfy others' needs, other needs, other people's needs. Mark doesn't include the Lord's Prayer in his text, but Jesus is showing here that he says, as much as we want the kingdom of God to come to earth, he also cares about our daily bread. Verse 4. His disciples answered, but where is this remote place that anyone can get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, he replied. He immediately gets them to work. He includes, I've already said all that. Um, Jesus will always use what's in our hand to see the multiplication happen. Yes, God can do this alone. 100%. But there's something about how God sets up uh, the, the understanding of faith is that he uses whatever's in your hand and he multiplies that. An example of this, we, we were probably about three and a half years, four years into our church plant and we're like, cool, we've just been going from venue to venue. For those of you who've been to church in Dubai long enough, you know that, the, that it's not favorable for churches really. And I remember driving, and I've shared the story before, but I drove around al Quds and I was like, I just want to... And like all these kind of new startups were starting there. I was like, man, there's coffee shops, there's this, there's that. There's even like different places that are event venues. I'm like, surely we can be that. And at this stage, the church wasn't big. It was 80 to 100 people, maybe a little bit over. And we had a, a little bit of money and um, probably just enough for a couple of weeks, to be honest. And, um, but I just really felt like, man, this is, this is the thing. And I remember driving past the warehouse. I saw there was a, a sign on the door, phone for rent, phoned the guy. Within a, few mo within a few kind of days, we had already kind of signed the checks with no money in the bank. Jesus, with my name on the bank account. Uh, but anyway, that's what faith is. Uh, some call it stupidity. I called it faith back then. And um, so, we, so we're just like, okay, well, we need to do an offering. And I remember uh, there was one couple in the church, and I'm not going to mention the, who they are because I think it will take something of their reward away. But I remember him coming to me. He's like, Dan, we're in a, we're in a tough space but we've got this little bit of money saved and we're going to sew it into the new building project. I was like, wow. What do you do as a pastor? 
like, you could be like, oh, no, don't worry. I mean, that'll kind of maybe feed your family for a couple of months. Like, no, because what, it's almost like what Jesus is doing. He's like, he's, he's allowing them to experience and see the goodness of God in their own lives. And it often happens when you just give that little amount. So we, we decided one week, we're going to, cool, we're going to do the miracle offering. I've seen it on Instagram. We're going to do a miracle offering. I can't remember what we called it. We're gonna, everyone's going to come in, and we're going to sow into this thing. And it was the least amount of people we've had in months. I think like 40 people arrived. I'm like, oh, with kids, 60. We counted everyone back then. The dogs, people bought dogs, 62. Um, don't count cats. Um, because they're not animals. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm back, sorry. Cat lovers. Um, and we... We're like, okay, well, this is great. I remember looking at Starla, and I just felt in my spirit drop in that moment the story of Gideon. When Gideon was going to go and fight, I think it was the Malachites or one of them, God says, cool, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to see who's really, really, really with you. And he cut them down. And I can imagine Gideon going, how the heck are we going to beat these people? And anyway, so we took this offering, and there was more than enough in that offering to pay for, I think, the first rent check to start fixing up the place. And God, from that moment, just miraculously began to give and give and give and give. Because we were on his mission. We were listening to his voice. We said, okay, well, God, we're going to step out in faith. And it pleases God when we do those things. It pleases God when we like step out in faith that, God, I, this does not make sense to me in this moment. It does not make sense in my finances. It does not make sense around our future. But I'm going to give this thing. I'm going to be self-sacrificial. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to, I'm going to pour out my life because I understand that when it's, when it's broken in your hands, God, it's multiplied. There's something about the principle of giving something to Jesus, and we need to give our part. I mean, I read some commentaries. It's like they all come down to we need to give our part. But once we give our part to Jesus, something happens that's way beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. We're sitting here today. Thousands of lives changed over the years. And it takes little moments of faith. It took that one family to go, cool, I'm going to give like, I think it was 12,000 dirhams. I'm going to give 12,000 dirhams and I'm going to sow it in because I see something of the kingdom of God that's going to break out in and through this. And I really feel like as a church, God wants to disturb our comfort in this next season. God's going to call us to do some radical stuff, radical giving, radical sowing, radical involvement because it's not about us. It's about the four, the 5,000 that God has for us in our community and what he wants to do in and through us. He told the, told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had, small, uh, they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told his disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 uh, four were present. After he had sent them away, he got in a boat and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. So you look at the meaning of the seven and the twelve. Like some, some would say that the... So obviously a few chapters before, I think Ryan preached on the multiplication and, and the 5,000. There were 12 basketfuls left over. Some people, some commentators would say that that is Jesus' ministry to the Jewish people. This one, after 4,000, there were seven baskets over. That's Jesus saying that this is my ministry to the Gentile people. It is an area that is Jews and Gentiles. It may, may or may not mean that. But what is clear is that Jesus is for everyone. 
every nation, tribe, tongue, ethnic group, Jesus is after them all. Jesus broke, if you look at John 4, uh, previously the Syrophoenician woman, previous chapter that we would have gone through, is that Jesus broke the boundaries to reach those who are far from him. The next season is going to be Alpha. Invite your world, invite your friends, invite people. I can think of this week, two people have got hold of my wife and I, who I know are far from Jesus. And they're like, oh, tell me a little bit about your church. One, the one dude I've known for about 22 years. Longer, almost 30 years. He's like, tell me about your church. Tell me about where you meet. I was like, oh, Jesus, you're doing something. I, Star said it, and I, she'll probably preach in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully. But um, she spoke about just like God's going to bring in the lost in this next season. Those who are far from Jesus. And who's God going to use to feed the lost? It's you and I. The disciples have only been with him two years, so it's not about being like overly trained and overly... It's just stick close with Jesus. Acts 17, this is my final, second final text. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, even though he's not very far from us. Now this is Paul speaking in Athens, and it's the whole thing about that. He speaks to the head like an idol to the unknown God, and says, listen, the God that you know is unknown, I know, and he begins to preach the gospel of this thing. There's people around us, there's people that are far from Jesus, that, that you have been placed in that place, in that school, in that business, wherever you've been placed, to bring the light of God to that place. It ends with Jesus breaking the bread, multiplying the baskets left over. There was just this abundance. And I was just thinking about like God's plan right there. It was his body for, to be broken. Now, if you look at the text from this moment, from 8 and then in nine, I think at the end of 8, it speaks about Jesus predicting his death. There's a sharp turn. So if, up to this point, it was Jesus showing that he's, that he's, that he's miraculous. He's, a, he's, uh, he's the son of God. He's all of this kind of thing. But from this point, he's facing towards Jerusalem. He's facing to the point where he's going to die on the cross for yours and for my sin. He's going to hang in our place. All the sin of the world is going to hang on him. My sin, your sin, past, present, future is going to hang on Jesus. He's going to take the sin of the world. The Bible says that he becomes sin. He, 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 the, the Father's face turns away from him. That, that, the, the reason that happened is that Jesus, the Father turned away from Jesus so he can turn our face towards us as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is always the point of every single sermon is that Jesus died for us and he wants to bring life into our lives.